0: Welcome to Ecommerce Innovators, a podcast that brings together the brightest minds in the industry to explore innovative strategies and trends in global e-commerce. Our host is John LeBaron, Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, the premier partner for global e-commerce acceleration. All right, thank you so much for joining the show today. This is Ecommerce Innovators, and my name is John LeBaron. I am your host and we strive to bring together the brightest minds in the industry to learn more about e-commerce, marketplaces and how to accelerate your business across all digital platforms. I am joined today by Phil Case. He is the president and chief client officer at Max Connect Digital. Welcome to the show today, Phil.
1: Thanks for having me, John.
0: So Phil, you and I have actually known each other for quite a while. We have a, a number of different connections and you are local to the Utah market, so Uh, you are like the master networker. If anyone is listening and you are local to Utah, you've got to get to know Phil because he is like the master hustler. He knows all the best people. He knows all the best places. And you are actually like the consummate networker. I I feel like you always try to bring value to every relationship. You're not salesy at all. You just want to bring smart people together. So I think uh, you're you're a like-minded kindred spirit in all of this. what makes you tick like that? Why Why are you always trying to like bring smart people together like that, Phil?
1: You know, my kids and wife continually kind of say, "Hey, I uh, we don't think you work much, Dad." They said, "Now, are you skiing the day? Are you mountain biking? You know, are you going on a trip?" And for me, I found that you know having shared experiences with others and being able to um, find commonality, common ground, work through business challenges. I mean, I've um been around the block enough to know that if you're not adding value to a relationship, I, you know, if it's only transactional and there's nothing deeper, you you tend not to one, stick around very long. And second, you're not making many friends. And for me, what's been fun, both those that I've done business with, those that have been clients, those that have been partners of ours, they're some of my very best friends. They're people that I keep spending time with and um, have had relationships for years over years now. And so for me it's just I think the only way to do business.
0: Amazing. Well, I have personally benefited from the relationship, um, not just because you've taken me mountain biking or skiing or whatever, but because uh, you're a super smart guy. So let's get into it. Tell us a little bit about Max Connect Digital. How long have you been there? What does Max Connect Digital do?
1: Yeah, so Max Connect has been in business for about nine years. We began as a natively digital agency. And just to give perspective on that, a lot of brands talk about being a native digital you know, versus going D to C first or via Amazon and marketplaces right. uh, compared to the traditional, you know, retail wholesale. And, and we were much the same way in the agency space. There's a lot of agencies that have been around for 10, 20, 40 years that have done traditional advertising, traditional branding, uh, have run billboards, radio, and they're now saying, "Hey, we're we're we would love to win your business. We've hired um, somebody that can do digital marketing, and they consider themselves experts and Whereas Max Connect from the outset was thinking ahead, um, trying to be n- digitally native. And still to this day, 90% of our revenue comes from paid digital campaigns. That's what we do. That's what we're excellent at. And I was fortunate enough to, to meet some of the team. What's interesting is I ran another agency for about a decade. Um, one of those you know uh, traditional to digital type agencies. And we did okay. Uh, we by no means got the results that we get here, but um, I, I, I kept losing business every couple of months to this agency I'd never heard of, and after a while, I realized, this, hey, who are these guys down in Draper that keep stealing my clients?" And uh, and then I moved to Highland and uh, got to know one of the owners there, and I had you know some some changes at my last agency and some different ownership, and uh, the stars kind of aligned, and I was uh, fortunate enough to get to know um, you know the ownership and 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 the CEO and others and. Uh, for me, I, I look back and think, wow, that was the best decision I've made in the last decade. <laughs> so I'm uh, lucky to be here as part of the team and uh, being able to, to see see a lot of growth in the last few years.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I think to our earlier conversation, I think the more that you add value into the lives of others, regardless of whatever perceived outcome or real outcome you get on your own, I do find that the stars tend to align on your behalf a lot more frequently than they normally would. So call it luck, call it karma, call it whatever you want, I guess. But uh, I I totally agree, and it's been fun to watch your rising star uh, from the sidelines. So anyway, super excited about that. Maybe tell us a little bit more. I mean, you kind of went into your background um, of running agencies, and now kind of coming into Max Max Connect. What do you feel like is you know again the secret sauce? You mentioned, and we'll, and we'll get into this innovation side, but just yeah. tell us a little bit of what why being digitally native as an agency matters in this kind of hyper
1: competitive digital space i mean the one thing that's interesting is i mean i've as an individual have always loved technology and trying to be a little bit more digitally first but being able to take those technologies on the google ad platform or on the facebook ad center and programmatic display networks and others i mean we, other agencies do that where they say, oh, yeah, we buy programmatic display from X vendor, X vendor, you know, Centro, or we buy remarketing from X vendor. Um, and, and what's interesting is we're relying on a third party to help our clients succeed. And when you're not running the placements, when you're not the one making the day-to-day decisions and those minute details, I mean, the devil's in the details and, and just our, I think, our ability to be hands-on and to outsource nothing (laughs) matters a lot. And when you're that concerned on that client success and driving performance, as our relationship and digital managers are, where they literally based on, you know, performance and and that client relationship determines what they take home, it matters. It hits close to home. You start to think differently, you act like an owner, you have skin in the game. And I, I think that, Fact alone, and in, in terms of how we're structured, it makes a difference. And so, there's a lot of agencies that will outsource to others, or to freelancers, or to just programmatic networks, and to you know big media houses. And that's not necessarily the wrong thing to do, but we just tend to outperform, and, and you know we come out on top because um, you know there's not a, a campaign optimization that we don't do under this roof.
0: Yeah, I think that's fascinating. So to contextualize this for all of the listeners right now, tell us a little bit more. I mean, a lot of listeners on this program are you know, people hustling and, and trying to start their own thing. Others are brands themselves that are looking for agencies or have current agencies or are running things in-house. A lot of folks, obviously, on the Amazon side and marketplaces, et cetera. But a lot of folks, uh, of course, running their own D2C, et cetera. How should they think about you know, you, as we have this conversation, how should they think about Max Connect? Tell us, are there certain, you know, industries you all focus on? Are there specific, you know, kind of niches? How should everyone
1: listening think about your offering and the responses that you give? I mean, I I think to put things into context, um, if you're a rapidly growing uh, company that has, has a product market fit, you've had proven success, you've started to sell a certain product category or had alignment with you know, certain audiences. And you're saying, what's the next step and how do we you know, uh, turn up marketing efforts? And so when I think about e-commerce companies, uh, there's typically about five different ways to kind of make money. And, and you know this all too well, but as we think about the D2C, the marketplaces, you know, wholesale retailers, I mean, those are kind of broader you know, distribution strategies, but specifically for digital um, and where we find success is around that considered purchase so hardly ever do we are we interested in you know selling trinkets or toilet paper or cereal but a little bit where you're doing your research you're considering a black diamond jacket and saying well do, do I want to buy this or do I buy a cool jacket and both are over two hundred dollars and you know you're going to spend some money and so there's some shopping that's happening and so it, it's typically not the impulse buy it's the one that you're being thoughtful and you're at the same time looking to build brand affinity or to have a relationship. And that's what brands are trying to do for you. And so, although we work across automotive and home building, we work with higher education. Um, we work with, um, you know, others in the SaaS tech space. Uh, the reason that we're successful in retail and e-commerce, where a lot of our clients are, is because we understand how to be uh, very attuned to audiences, to the nuances of what matters to them, and to really try to think about and tailor a unique customer journey. So going back to those, you know, four to five levers that every brand has the pull, one of those levers is marketplaces, right? It's what Pattern does and does so well. We don't do anything in marketplaces, nor do we want to. And so, you know, Pattern's a, a partner that we regularly, you know, refer to and think of. Um, but for us, as we think about the D to C, we're thinking about organic. Um, SEO and organic tra- or inorganic social. We're thinking about um, all of your paid digital media. We're thinking about your own customer base and database marketing, email and text. Um, and then we're also thinking about affi- aff- affiliates and influencers. And so sometimes as marketers um, or when we're hired, we often hear, hey, here's ten to $15,000. We're a brand new company. Go Go build marketing for us. And it's like you know, basically go create an insatiable demand for our product that nobody knows about and uh, make it a smashing success. And we found that paid uh, digital marketing is not, never nearly as successful than when you're orchestrating multiple efforts, with, that when you're in, on Amazon, um, on walmart.com, when you're on um, and, and have a you know, thriving um, organic presence that's growing when you're working with some you know, affiliates and influencers, when you are actively you know promoting you know, your efforts with uh, your own email database, all of those things combined is really what brings success. And so often brands are heavy focused on one or two of those. And they're not thinking about the four to five kind of rounding out a really healthy foundation where ultimately success lies. And so we, we place ourselves really in that um, being able to drive you know, kind of SEO and your organic digital footprint and coupled with the paid uh, digital. That's where we found that we bring a lot of expertise to competency that hopefully adds value.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into the you know, nuts and bolts of this thing. You know, we're on e-commerce innovators. You're working with a ton of brands who are innovating themselves and you have to kind of keep pace or even lead the pace as it relates to your own innovation. So let's just talk about that. I mean, what would you say is the most impactful innovation your company has, you know, devised basically.
1: You know, it's interesting. We're continuing to hear, and here's the question we get, you know, know, nine times out of 10 from e-commerce brands. Hey, what have you done in TikTok and what's the secret there? Yeah. And it's funny because a lot of the new innovations, I mean, TikTok's the new thing that everyone's raging about. And I I think it's here to stay in some form and, you know, there'll be something new. Facebook and Instagram, people are so frustrated with because as you know, last April with the iOS 14 update, every single brand just had a bloodbath, at least had for several months and basically the cost on everything went up. And so TikTok is kind of the shiny new object. And and I'll just kind of maybe take a moment and talk about that with TikTok and any other new channel that you're adopting. Uh, TikTok particularly is looking for authenticity. They're looking for... It, it it almost can't even, you can't, you know, it has to pass the sniff test of not being an ad. Um, and so when we think about a really well-run TikTok campaign, it usually involves affiliates and influencers. It usually involves just a very casual, almost, you know, in the heat of the moment kind of video that you're recording that's authentic and that's uh, that's real, that people can relate to. And then putting some paid efforts behind that, being able to promulgate that across the platform. That's where we've seen success there. And so, you know, when brands think about innovation, um, often they're innovating in terms of, you know, the cool products and the things that they're selling and, you know, use cases and, hey, this is what can connect to your car and it can do X, Y, and Z. We hear that all day long. But the innovations that they're doing in marketing don't often happen as frequently. Typically we see brands that have, for instance, Uh, One of the brands we work with is McGee & Co., Studio McGee. They're massive, right? And we think the world of them. They have such a fantastic brand. And they'll admit this, they hadn't done any paid marketing and digital or SEO until just about a couple of months ago. Um, You know, first of the year and and when we started working together. And yet the brand was so powerful that they were missing two to three legs of that stool and yet still succeeding in spite of what their efforts were. And so we often see that the brands are innovating in what they're ultimately delivering on their value proposition experience. And that's that's where their efforts should be focused. But it's looking to either their internal team for marketing or working with partners, you know, such as a pattern or Max Connect or other agency to bring other um, technological innovations, whether that relates to shipping, whether that relates to the return experience, whether that relates to, um, you know, the placement of the media and being able to connect to kind of the right audiences. And so I'll speak a little bit more to that in a moment, but that's one thing I'll say is we do see individuals that, you know, as they innovate in the e-commerce space, it typically is in the product or in the brand that they've been able to create, that people are so loyal to that founder, that brand, that social following. That's what impresses me the most because that's something we can't replicate, which is authenticity and the founder's story and the founder's core values. And when they can explicitly speak about their why and what motivates them and what choices they, they make and what they will and won't do with the brand because of those core values, that's, that is what we look for in any brand that we, you know, seek to work with is that type of authenticity and real, uh, isn't because you, you, you can't fabricate that in marketing. Right. So I'll get off, uh, kind of that soapbox. Um, <laughs> so so it's been interesting. We have always had a very audience-led approach. So yeah. a lot of digital marketers think, "Hey, we're going to go onto Facebook and Instagram. We're going to spend a bunch of money and scale the business. And if we spend fifty thousand a month, that means we can, you know, net one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand in revenue a month." Yeah. And and they start to scale and grow. And we've seen this again and again. And typically, when we start to get engaged with the brands, they're either only spending on paid search with Google or they're only spending on paid social and they start to hit a wall and they're saying, well, our return on ad spend, our ROAS, was a three to one or a five to one. But then as we started spending more money, we started capping out and now we're only getting a, a 1.2 to one. And you know, our returns are horrible. What do we do? And, and typically if you're, you know, have that one note on the piano that you're pressing, Um, And consistently doing that, you eventually start to tap out of that audience and you've gathered the low-hanging fruit and taken advantage of that opportunity. And we really try to think about go-to-market strategy being holistic. It's first and foremost identifying who are those individuals that are in your key audience segments? What makes them different and unique? Why would they buy? Once we've gone through that kind of exercise, we actually, and this is part of the secret sauce is we work with dozens and dozens and dozens of data providers, Visa, American Express, Experian, Oracle, Data Alliance, and many others to gather third-party relevant data to say, okay, you described the perfect consumer segments as X, Y, and Z. Let's go see how they consume the internet. Let's go see. Now you're convinced, Brand, that you're only going to spend money on TikTok and on Instagram, but guess what? You're, you're, of ignoring 25% of that potential audience that are on neither of those channels, and so we we try to profile and look at those individuals and understand what does a holistic go-to-market strategy look like. And so, as we then get launched, we try to put together a very kind of tailored experience where you know you and I are you know uh, white white males in their you know 30s and 40s, and you know that married and have kids. But how each of us consume the internet, is going to be different. There's going to be nuances associated with that. And so our platform and kind of our proprietary technology and approach has been we are audience led, we're data driven, but then we take that to bear and we're making decisions uh, relative to those campaigns on the fly based on where those audiences that you've already pre-identified and we pre-targeted. So it might be you know, a programmatic display ad to a video on YouTube, to another display ad on, you know, Fox News, to then ultimately seeing a social ad and coming back around. And so every customer journey is fairly unique. And every path we found is much more circuitous and messy than you would expect. So we have developed a platform called Kudos, which is a marketing business intelligence platform. And it's been in the making now for, you know, a couple of years, it's really started to to come to light and we've done a more kind of official launch towards the first of this year. But we have, you know, well over 100 clients on it. And it's something that we just offer uh, for anyone that we do business with. But Kudos has an ability to not only intelligently profile those, you know, highest value customer segments and understand their consumption patterns, but it can visualize the customer journey in real time. You can see down to the minute what those journeys and clicks and touches and interactions are with your brand across any and all channels and all throughout your website. And so an ability to visualize that and then through pattern recognition, understand uh, where the greatest acceleration points are, what created and offers are moving them to purchase, what channels are having a larger impact than others, what key geographies are most meaningful. All of that data, we've been able to surface and visualize. Uh, you know, on behalf of our brands uh, across any number of channels, including channels that we're not even running, right? So they might be managing their SMS and email. Uh, They might be managing their efforts, you know, with customer service and others. And we're showcasing that in that customer journey and giving them an ability to visualize and truly understand what that customer path could look like.
0: Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I mean, pun intended, right? Kudos to you guys for uh, putting that together and getting it launched. What have been some of the big surprises that you've had as you have kind of ingested more data? The cool thing about these platforms, right, is they get smarter. The more data you put into them, the the more cycles and a chance they have to ingest that data. Um, But any early kind of surprises as you've launched or, you know, kind of key insights that necessarily you weren't planning on before
1: you did it? I mean, the thing that surprised me and that we've seen consistently is that a lot of the journeys, I mean, there's a lot of, when we we typically as marketers will go go to Google Analytics and other channels and say, it's almost like we're giving an ABCD grade to paid social or uh, to programmatic display or video or search, whatever it might be to say, hey, this one's working better than others. But what you find out is that the journeys are much messier and that a consumer doesn't think well, yeah, I first saw them on an Instagram ad and I came and I saw and I bought. Yeah. That sometimes happens. But most often as consumers, we just consume the internet. And what's been surprising to us is the journeys are often more lengthy. I mean, we have journeys that go on for 65 days and they're still going. Yeah. And that person hasn't made a decision. And what's been fascinating is being able to see life cycles. You see these individuals, they start a journey and they're you know kind of hot and heavy Um, Looking at various brands and competitors, but then they come to a screeching halt, you know, Friday to Tuesday, and then they're back at it. And, And you begin to realize that people are human and that, you know, there's external circumstances, there's family concerns, there's business. And so this whole notion of starting and stopping doesn't mean that, you know, they're no longer interested. So this whole seven day window attribution Facebook ads, we think is garbage to begin with because people and consumers often don't consume just like that, right? They continue and perpetuate that journey, you know, and you know, and for most brands, they're looking at loyalty and advocacy forever. And so we found that that average days to conversion or to purchase is much longer uh, on average than what you think. And the fact that it's often not one channel, uh, it's often two, it's often four. It's sometimes they've saw a social ad and came to the site, and then they come back four to five more times in the next three days via direct. And then they stop, and then you, they see another ad, and then they come back three more times organically. And so just being able to see the eclectic nature of each and every journey was, I think, surprising. Uh, the other insight that was of interest, and, and this is a little bit more on the automotive side. Yeah. Um, we we took a look at all different manufacturers, Toyota, Ford, Chevy, you know, Nissan, et cetera. And we work with multiple of these OEM dealerships all over the country. And we said, how many touch points does it take uh, for those brands to have a conversion, a form fill, a phone call, an interest on a particular vehicle? And it was interesting. All of the other brands were, you know, somewhere on an average of seven to nine touch points of seeing an ad, watching a video, coming to the site, consuming various vehicle pages before they said, Hey, you know, I think I'm interested in that one and I'll go in or, you know, fill out a lead form or whatever. With Toyota, it was three. And so Toyota only had three touches uh, to make an impact and to win that customer and, and, and be able to make a difference. And so the insight there was: well, if you're gonna make it, you know, if you're gonna make a first impression, um, you only you have fewer opportunities to do that, you better make a good one. And what can we do for any Toyota dealership to even go above and beyond with the message and the hook and being able to stand out? The the other thing we learned is that you better spend a little bit more money on every ad. So we've, since that time and that observation, we've actually increased our willingness to pay per click, per visit, per lead, just because we know that that individual, that shopping experience is, is a little bit consolidated or condensed as compared to other competitive brands. And so little insights and, you know, stories that uh, we've been able to, you know, kind of see come out of kudos through our some of our analysis have been interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that's really, really cool. And there are a handful of things that you mentioned there um, that I want to touch on first. Uh, you said, I started to realize that people are humans, so I need a t-shirt. <laughs> that effect, I think. Uh, the other thing that I really I- like you said earlier is, um, you know, we're audience led, but data driven. Uh, so I think that's really, really great. I mean, it's, it's absolutely kind of the yin yang of that you want. You want that kind of qualitative, empathetic, you know, kind of almost consumer psychology mindset of listening to people truly trying to understand that, but you'll also want that super quantitative, uh, objective, okay. data-driven, mathematical um, piece to to devising the solution. So I guess in the, you know, spirit of the innovation at your organization trying to accelerate brands, I think you mentioned something like, you know, our goal in working with these brands is to use the data that will help to lead ultimately to a faster consumer purchase um, or an improved experience on that customer end. Do you have any examples? I know you just shared the one of you know, Toyota, I think was, was fascinating. Maybe in the e-commerce world or space, anything kind of come to mind of how you feel like your innovations and, and data focus have allowed or accelerated uh, brands and, and what they're trying to do with their customers?
1: Yeah, I mean, w- one example, um, in, in this relationship started a little bit differently. Um, Sportsman's Warehouse came to us oh, last a little over a year ago and said, look, we're Sportsman's Warehouse. We have a retail footprint all over the country. Yeah. And yet our, our social following isn't quite nearly where it ought to be. And they said, we need your assistance in tripling that social following. And, uh, and so we devised a strategy and through, you know, multiple efforts and a whole lot of hard work, we've actually been able to triple our social following and kind of did so earlier this year. But along the way, they said, well, and we kind of approached them to say, well, you're not doing much on paid social and being able to leverage these audiences that we're building and engage. And we started to study and look at the data and be able to look at some of their key consumer segments. It's different on Instagram than it is on Facebook. I think we understand that. And as we kind of dove in there, we, we brought outside data providers into the platform. So I don't know how well you kind of know that platform, but in 2016, because of President Trump's election, Cambridge Analytica, you know, they kind of got their hands slapped. And so Facebook severely limited Uh, back in 2016, all of the uh, targeting capabilities for basically any brand. I mean, it stinks. We all hate it. Um, And so we, at that point, built a kind of a real-time feed into paid social, into Facebook to say, rather than rely on what Facebook's willing to offer from a targeting perspective, what if we could um, study and consume and understand behaviorism, um, you know, around certain audience segments? And what if we could cherry pick and be very Be 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 very intentional on the type of you know profiles and preferences and attributes of those audiences that we could bring. And so, after studying sportsman's um, audience for a couple of months and where we felt the biggest opportunities were, we began to bring custom data through our platform into Facebook on their behalf and run Facebook ads. And you know, we've been able to kind of see from a success standpoint you know, a four to one, a five to one. I think right now we're averaging about a seven to one return on ad spend um, on behalf of a pretty big brand. Um, and and it's not just the fact that we're running paid social and, and digital. I think it's the fact that we listened, we understood what that audience wanted and what was meaningful for them. So the art of the craft, uh, but then simultaneously being data-driven, I think being able to put together a fairly nuanced um, you know, data set relative to where our targeting and audience attributes should be. It's allowed us to, you know, achieve a fairly scalable, and we continue to scale and grow, you know, in terms of what they're investing, uh, return on investment. And to the point where I think we've been able to expand their digital footprint tremendously, but do it via data, data driven, do it via, you know, being able to have pattern recognition across journeys and purchases and understanding that it wasn't just the fact that we were running social, it's the fact that there's other things going on from paid search. There's organic efforts happening via social and that ultimately is what allowed us to have the success we've had.
0: Yeah, I think that's, you know, the results kind of speak for themselves. Absolutely. The thing that's I think super tricky is, you know, when a brand comes to you or any brand you're working with, they come to you with obviously a set of expectations, a set of results that they've kind of delivered or goals in mind, I think the the thing that's often underrated um, as any kind of service provider is that the the ground beneath you is constantly undulating, right? The dynamics that brought them to your door aren't necessarily the same dynamics that are going to be in play as you try to take them to the next level. I think a lot about brands even coming to patterns today. And it's like the experience even that they would get 12 months ago uh, is fundamentally different just because the market is shifting so quickly. The mix that you would recommend, the the uh, the quote-unquote, the the low-hanging fruit just changes, quote-unquote, by season as well, um, depending on where you're at. So I think that's, that's really, really fascinating. Um, maybe just kind of going down this thread or path of innovation, how do you, you know, because you're now in this role, maybe you can give folks a sense of what a president and, you know, chief kind of client officer does, but how do you instill and foster innovative and out of the box ideas and thinking within your own organization so that
1: that kind of bleeds through um, to the brands that you're helping represent? Yeah, no, great question. Um, a lot of it has been where we've continued to go with and, and expand kudos upon um, our platform. What's been interesting is we begin with this idea of mind of can we in real time visualize the customer journey? And we thought that that would be an enormous feat and it was. But then once we've gone into it, we've added a third and a fourth and a fifth layer. And we almost never look at this customer journey visualization as often you know, as, as we thought we would. And what we re- realized is you know, that foundationally uh, was important and we needed it for a lot of the other pieces that we would build. Um, I'll say that we have such a fantastic team. Our digital team is always thinking a few steps ahead and saying, okay, this is what most agencies would do or in-house marketers. But how do we just think a little differently? You know, why? Wh- what do we foresee some of the upcoming privacy, um, you know, uh, changes within Google and third-party data? What impact will that have? What do we see with the ability to, you know, uh, gather first-party data? How do we leverage that within the platform? And so we do try to pick up on in terms of. What does the next six to six months to one year out look like for the brands that we work with? And what are some of the key things that we can do? So there's at least a peace of mind and a confidence that as we communicate out, I mean, right now that we've been, you know, for over a year now, been preaching to brands first party data, first party data. And we're now incorporating that more and more, not only into our own campaigns, but into the platforms and being able to, and again, we think first party data, and most brands think, oh yeah. I take my customer list and I update it and it becomes a lookalike audience. Well, that that is very much a, um, a, a rudimentary way of thinking the first party data. There's a lot more that you can gather um, and attributes and understanding what make those individuals purchase beyond exporting a list and importing it to Facebook uh, and an ability to have further detail and be able to see where different audience cohorts interact, be able to see where, um, you know, different channels and potentially different programmatic display and video networks, uh, you know, can provide meaningful value. One of the recent conversations we had um, where we hosted um, Silicon Slopes and the marketing chapter at our agency was just this last weekend. We brought several brands together and the topic was kind of a controversial one intentionally, uh, which was entitled Attribution is Killing Your Marketing Strategy. And we continue to see brands And this is a little bit of that mega shift where brands have become so myopically focused on what their perceived attribution is. And they're being driven from their CFO or their, you know, CEO, whomever it might be to get, you know, an ever increasing return on ad spend. And so they start to go down this path and they get to a three to one and a four to one. And they think, you know, it's got to be Facebook or it's got to be Google. And they just start to drill down on that and begin to cut off the other channels feeling that they've done the experimentation and it's not providing a direct return. And they find over time that sales plummet uh, because they're not building brand. And so a lot of where we see and what came out of this conversation is just getting back to the basics that people are human and people aren't going to buy a product or service if they've never heard of you, if you haven't won them over, if you haven't educated them, if you haven't begun to build you know, mind share with them. And so, so much of what we do is try to retrain marketers or retrain brands to think, no, you actually have to do the right thing for the right reason, not just to make a buck, but to win the market long-term. You have to do some brand building. You have to put out you know, competent YouTube videos and programmatic display ads and do SEO. It was interesting that one of the brands we worked with, Keto Chow, their VP of marketing, Jared, is just a fantastic individual. And he, he kind of talked a little bit about this, talking about his own innovation to his credit. He said, you know, so many of the brands that I have seen in the past have been so focused on purchase campaigns, right? You go to Facebook and Instagram and say, yeah, the conversion event we want is a purchase. And he looked at that and about a year and a half ago to say, no, I don't think that's right. Because there's a seasonality to our business, right? It's cyclical because we're a diet. You know, and people are different times of the year. It matters, and sometimes it doesn't. Yes. So, what if we just what What if our conversion or our success was measured by an add to cart? What if we said that was the event that we wanted? And so, he's been running add to cart campaigns and and, and investing a decent amount of money there. And what's been interesting when you know things were maybe a little bit more um, nerve wracking for that company as they continued to make significant investments into. Um, into these add to cart conversion campaigns where there wasn't a purchase, but sure. they were merely just building an audience. And you know, the first month, the second month, the third month, the CFO saying, hey, we got to get a return on this, right? What are you thinking? You're going to drive us into the ground. He said, it will come, it will come. And he said, meanwhile, I was thinking, I sure hope it comes because I feel like this should work. And he got to the fifth or sixth month and then it was just a, an onslaught and a landslide of purchases. And they made back every penny and far outseated a two-to-one or three-to-one type of ROAS, and they were so um, intentional in their efforts and willing to kind of put themselves out there that they saw it just such a fantastic, um, you know, kind of marketing model. The other thing I'll say with them is they understand the power of channels such as programmatic display. Most e-commerce brands write that off. We we preach it, we teach it. We, you know, typically include that with our digital strategy out of the gate, but for them, they're thinking, why can't I see my ROAS just like, you know, paid search and Facebook and it doesn't work that way. Different channels have different purposes. And part of the innovation we've tried to build into Kudos is to help them see that holistic approach to allow them to see the role within that journey to start, to continue, to end uh, towards a conversion. And, you know, the same brand Keto Chow, they invest significantly in, in, um, in video pre-roll, in an OTT, and in, in display, and they're not measuring it in the sense of they go, to, they go to Shopify and they go to their analytics and say, hey, what did it produce? They're looking at the number of branded searches for Keto Chow, the yeah. direct purchases from traffic. And so you sometimes have to get creative. And, and, and that's a lot of what we're trying to bake into um, the innovation and in, 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 you know, marketing intelligence platform that we built. But there's just some incredible brands that we've seen that are, I think, a little bit ahead of the curve and understand that, you know, building brand and having mind share in the right way is always the right decision.
0: Yeah, I, man, there's so much to kind of double click on there. And um, I just think it's so fascinating to really be thoughtful, you know, get into this purchase. We started early on the podcast with your, uh, with your comments of, you know, we do really, really well for brands. Um, that have consumers that are making considered thoughtful purchases, right? And I think that example of changing the measuring sticks, so to speak, um, around building the audience, building the brand, creating a consideration set that you can then tap into, you know, potentially for years to come versus just going straight for the jugular and the purchase right off the gate and being a little myopic around the way that you ultimately try to measure that success, I think is really, really smart. And and just going back to the fundamentals, right? Of like, hey, let's just take a step back, get out of the mumbo jumbo, get out of all the taxonomy, get out of all these preconceived notions about ROI and this, whatever, and just take a step back and let's educate. And you might even need to educate someone above quote unquote, the fold um, or the power line. Sometimes we refer to here, and get their buy-in and because a lot of these executives they don't know how to measure it right they're leaning on someone who's told them or some agency or some former even employee sometimes that this is the way you should measure it and um i think being super dogmatic on that front and not you know having the context or the long-term vision can um be punitive oftentimes well this has been fascinating to connect with you again uh, again pun intended on max connect of course Um, all the dad jokes just flowing in here right now, before we kind of, uh, you know, say goodbye for another minute until we have you back on the show, Phil, one question I really like to ask, uh, those that, that come and join the show with us is if you have one leadership principle, um, that really you would say kind of helps change the game. And there are always tons that you can probably think of, maybe just one that kind of comes to mind today for you. Um, what would you say that leadership principle is that has led to your personal
1: success? Um, so I attended a, a, a keynote speaker years ago that kind of shaped the way that I think a lot about leadership, and it was earlier in my career. And you know, I was helping run an agency, but by and large, I felt like I was somewhat carrying the agency in some regard in terms of you know growth and some success. And 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 he said, look if you're continuing as a business leader to be an Olympic athlete, if you're continuing to perform and to set records and you know, people look to you as, wow, I hope to be so-and-so someday, you're doing it all wrong. And he said, you gotta shift your mindset from being that Olympic athlete to being the Olympic coach. How do you breed the next uh, generation of Olympians? How do, you help, um, h- how do you help fuel and foster success through others? And how do you celebrate their success far beyond your own? And of course, that's a core principle of leadership. But just thinking about, uh, you know, where is the growth of your company coming from? Where are the innovative ideas? Who are you bringing on of individuals that are far smarter than you and far more capable? And, and, and saying in everything that I do, how can I have their back? How can I uh, be their biggest cheerleader and ultimately find success um, through them? And so just that mindset, mind, mindset of, Uh, not trying to be that athlete, but uh, working through others and and trying to kind of raise and and provide training and support and and really just that humility to understand that they're most likely going to be far more successful than you, but you need to put them in the spotlight and uh, allow them to shine.
0: Amazing. Well, one of the very latest kind of connections where we could rub shoulders, albeit briefly, was at the Accelerate event that Pattern hosted. And the theme there was the people behind the people. And I think the leadership principle that you just articulated is very aligned to, the, to that notion of, you know, how do you cultivate the rising, you know, stars or how do you identify or how do you just recognize, honestly, they're already there. How do you recognize those folks that are, are putting in that hard work, but maybe not getting the kudos or the recognition? So anyway, here's to the rising stars and the uh, the next generation of gold medalists at Max Connect Digital. Thank you so much for joining the show today, Phil. And I hope to see you again here very shortly.
1: Great to join you. Thank you again, John. All right. Thanks a ton, Phil. We'll see you.